Welcome to Seize Your Mind, the podcast about soccer, mental toughness, and life. I'm your host, Brandon Stone. Today we have Freddie Juarez with us. He is the head coach for Real Salt Lake. He, before that, was the assistant coach for them, and uh, he also played professionally for a couple teams. Um, Freddie, how are you today? Good. How are you, Brandon? Thanks for having me on this show. Good, good. Thank you for being here. Looks like you're uh, having a nice, relaxing day at the beach. <laughs> I, I, t- I tend to put that one on so people think I'm not stressed. <laughs> oh, nice. It, it works. It works. You don't look stressed one bit. <laughs> so I just wanted to uh, figure out how you got to where you are now. Tell me the story of, you know, playing as a kid, teenager. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, um, parents are uh, from Mexico. Um, you know, they might, uh, from my dad from, uh, Miyoki, Chihuahua, which is the Northern part closer to, you know, to, uh, in Chihuahua, the, the, it's a Northern state in Mexico. And my mom's from Leon, Guanajuato, which is a little bit more central Southern. Uh, and they moved into the States. They were, uh, they worked the fields, you know, so they came and picked crops and that type of stuff. And we moved into El Paso, Texas, uh, then eventually moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, where I was raised uh, pretty much my whole life. Father, uh, when it came to sports, was a uh, a big time fan of baseball and played um, a, a lot. Um, growing up, uh, growing up in his you know youth and and mid teen ages, and played at a competitive you know s- select teams and things like of that nature. Not pro of any sort, but but really loved the sport. Um, so we were kind of that was our first sport that you know, growing up, that, that's what we would do with Pops, you know, he'd hit the ball to us, and we, you know, go do the, you know, pick it up and throw it back to him type of stuff, but uh, we you're kind of, ball felt, boy. sorry, you're the ball boy, <laughs> yeah, I didn't find it much fun, he, he did the hitting, and we just went and chased the ball, didn't, didn't like it very much, uh, so we never really picked it up, but it, it, it just happens to be where the first home we lived when we got to the States was in, um, across an elementary school, uh, and my older brothers, I have two older brothers, uh, five and four years older than me, uh, you know, I'd tag along and we'd go to the playground. And one day, uh, probably nowadays, it sounds strange, but there was a gentleman and his son riding around. Uh, and, and they, I guess he saw us and my two brothers looked the age of his son and he asked if they would be interested in playing soccer. Uh, and my, my brothers were like, yeah, like we've never played it. We didn't know what it was. Uh, even though we're from Mexico, or my my parents were, we didn't we didn't think about sports other than baseball. So, um, you know, the guy asked where we lived. My brothers pointed out the home. They went and talked to my dad, and my dad ended up taking my brothers to a practice a few days later, and and that's where it just caught on. And from there, I I tag along. Uh, and you're it was about an, how old than that? Sorry, you're about how old then? I'm uh, at that time I was uh, four, four years old. Yeah, my brothers, my brothers were nine, nine and uh, ten. Um, so you still t- tagged along for a few years. You know, they jumped from a couple teams to teams. And finally, they got to a, a team that um, the coach um, actually ended up, you know, they got tired of me going over there and shagging balls for them. That There was a, a team that was a year older than me that, that trained on the same facility. And coach walked me over there and introduced me to the coach and asked me if I wanted to train with them and uh, ended up being – got in a line and did an exercise with them and fell in love with the game from that point on. That was about about eight eight years old. So about four years later, um, just loved it. Um, So then that, that ended up happening. And then, 
and just continue to play in the Las Cruces uh, area. Had some very uh, influential people, uh, Leo and Linda Lara, who at that time it was called the New Mexico Strikers. Um, they, uh, they brought us up, you know, kids from all over different backgrounds and we had a competitive team and that's where I got into the ODPs and all that type of stuff and continue to play, traveling stuff. Um, didn't go and play college. Um, right after high school, uh, there was, you know, a junior college opportunity. Um, I spoke to Simon Tobin, who at the time was a, the head coach at, at Cal State uh, Bakersfield, which is Division II at the time. He, he was scouting me, but I didn't, I didn't have the ACT to go. So he asked me to go to a junior college in Irvine. And I chose I didn't want to go. Uh, so I stayed and entered some classes, registered for some classes at New Mexico State University. Uh, and they have a, um, a uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, club team. So yep. they, you know, you, you go take one or two classes and you can play on that team. And they travel around uh, and just the coach that was coaching actually played, uh, Rafael Zuniga played in, in Mexico, played at Pumas, um, ended up, I think, playing in Juarez, Ciudad Juarez with the Cobras, which was a division one team a while back, uh, back in the eighties uh, and I think early nineties. Uh, and he knew um, the head coach, there were teammates who was coaching the USL team at the time, a league team, El Paso Patriots. And uh, he, he told me, we, we, he got a scrimmage and he told me the coach, he, he talked to the coach and told him, this is a player you should look at. Uh, and after the game, they invited me to a preseason. And from there at, at 19 years old, this was 1998, maybe 97, late 97, not 98, sorry. And uh, they saw me and that, that was it. That's how I got my, my time to first professional contract, played there for six years. What position did you start? Started as a, believe it or not, a center back. Out of fault, it was a, a back line of five. I was one of the center backs. Evolved to an, a, a wing back, a right wing back. Um, and then two years later, I went back to my natural position in the middle of the field. I was traditionally, you know, when you're growing up, you're an attacking player. But my, what I ended up doing for the rest of my, my time was a holding mid, number six. Yeah. Played six years with El Paso, and then they, um, they folded. They, 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 they went down to PDL, and um, I got a call from Buzz Lagos, who – was the head coach of uh, Minnesota Thunder. Um, he called me, took the opportunity, and I, I went there for four years, and and that that wrapped up a ten-year career in in uh, in in a second division status in in the U U.S. You know, I played a year in indoor. Didn't really like it with Wichita Wings. Did a couple. Did futsal, right? I did a couple camps in futsal. wasn't wasn't my thing either. I just you know did it because there was there was nothing to do once the. The season ended on the outdoor um, and did a couple tryouts in, in MLS. Um, but after that, just, well, during this whole time, I was always coaching, running camps or coaching back home. Uh, but after I finished, I really got a hold of it and started coaching teams and coaching competitive teams. And, and I, I got seen and that's how I got into RSL. Well, before we get into the coaching career, I want you to tell me your favorite movie or favorite movie, your favorite memory a movie in your mind. <clears throat> your favorite memory from um, playing as a player? As a pro player or? Either. Uh, yeah, you know, you got a, for sure, I got, you got a, your first professional game that you ever played. And for mine was, uh, first game was San Francisco Seals back in the day. Um, I think in it was. In San Fran or? In San Francisco, yep. Um, and then I think CJ Brown, if you've heard of him, I think he played there. A couple guys got started there. 
Um, and then I think it was a road trip, which was, um, oh my gosh, uh, Jaguars. And I forgot the, uh, the name of the city there in, uh, in Northern California, but it's a, it's a, it's a farm town. Um, and that's for sure memorable because it was my first professional um, league professional game. Uh, and then I had some very good memories in, um, down in, in Minnesota. We, were, we, we made the playoffs, I think, three times, but uh, we made a good run at, at the Open Cup uh, two years where we knocked out uh, two teams each year uh, in, of MLS teams, which was for us was always, you know, it is your lower cup uh, team and you enter those cup games, you – you want to you want to knock down the MLS teams, um, and and those I know we knocked out LA Galaxy, we knocked out, uh, ironically Real Salt Lake, um, we knocked out um, Kansas City one year, um, so it was it was we took um, the the very good San Jose Earthquakes at De Rosario, they had at Landon Donovan, those guys we took them into PKs, they beat us in penalty kicks, so it was good two good years of Open Cup runs that I I'll remember forever. Did you take one of those penalty kicks? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I had already been actually. I had already been subbed uh, in overtime. So, um, but but it was a it was a fun game. I I was kind of supposed to kind of keep an eye on and Landon Donovan, and the one time he gets loose, he scores. But <laughs> they took us into overtime with that. Um, do you have a favorite goal you scored? Uh, if you ask some teammates, they said I didn't score very often, but I had two very memorable goals where they're like, "Man, you don't score, but when you score, you score golazos." And one was against um, one was against Atlanta Silverbacks. One time, ball outside the box, and another one was like a volley. It, sorry, it's like a volley. Yeah, no, across the ground, and I just hit it one time, and it went upper V. I I don't know what happened, but it went off my foot like it's never has, and it went right upper V. And it was I thought a very good goal, probably my best goal ever. And then another one that Buzz Lagos even every time I see him, um, his brother, his son is Manny Lagos, who's at Minnesota United. Uh, I saw him when we went to go play last season, and uh, he always, every time we run into each other, he introduces me as the guy that scored a uh, save the season for Minnesota because we we knock out uh, Boulder Colorado Rapids, which was their PDL team. It's a last minute goal that I have, uh, and that advances us in the Open Cup. And as you know, lower cup, lower division teams, you know, if you can make it to uh, advance and play in MLS teams, that's six, seven thousand fans, and that's that's a lot of money. And he, every time I run into him, he's like. You saved our season for the next year. That's why we had a team the next year because of that that money we brought in. So it was a memorable goal. That's cool. That's cool. Had you already had, always had an eye on coaching later? Like, did you have that in the back of your mind? Yes. As soon as uh, I probably hit about 18 years – well, I was already helping my brother coach around 17. Um, and from there on, I was always coaching. I loved it. I loved it. I loved playing. But I was always, always, always paying attention and, and I was always signing up for the camps because that's how you got extra money. But when I came home during the summer, as you know, the, the seasons are only six, seven months uh, long, uh, I was coaching and I was going to taking teams to Dallas Cup, uh, Nomads, all over the country to do these competitive tournaments. So I, I, I loved it. I had a thing for getting and, you know, you didn't have very good internet in those days, but I'd subscribe to like world-class coaching. I'd order those IX coaching videos mm-hmm. and I'd watch them. And that's the stuff I'd go apply to the teams that I was coaching along with the experience uh, that I was gaining as a player. I try to apply it to players. So it was, I, I knew I was going to coach. I didn't have it in my mind. Like I wanted, like I was going to be a pro coach. I didn't have that vision. I just wanted to be a very good coach uh, competitively for the city that I was living in. It's a very small town, and but we always produce some decent players. 
um, at a young age. Uh, and and I, for me, it was awesome going and competing against California teams, teams from all over the country and competing and winning in some cases, coming from a town of, uh, of 70,000 and a league of maybe the whole league when you registered every single player was maybe 2,500. So if we had a team and U18, it was a team that you carried through and you had to develop from seven, like they, they stayed together for years. I had a few of those teams. Yeah. And, and you'd sprinkle in one or two players here and there that you were lucky enough to find or, or they liked your team and they travel from another city. Uh, but that's, for me, it was always developing players because we couldn't select players. So every, every year our team and players had to get better. And I fell in love with that, that you saw progress in helping someone get better. That's cool. That's cool. How did you get the job as the assistant coach at RSL? Yeah, no, uh, first for me, along with the coaching that I was doing that you're just, you know, going and, and with my New Mexico United teams, uh, sorry, New Mexico striker teams, um, I got seen with a team. I didn't get seen, but I, a, a U.S. national team scouts, Greg Vanny and Mike Munoz, who are now at Toronto, um, were scouting for U.S. soccer at a tournament in Phoenix, and my team was playing in that tournament, and they came to watch a couple of the players I was coaching. They were U15s. Uh, but at the same time, Greg Vanny, um, he's very good friends with Robin Frazier, who at that time was assistant coach Jason Christ at Real Salt Lake. In, in Casa Grande, Arizona, an hour south of Phoenix, there's this uh, facility, um, Grande Sports World, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Like it's an oasis, really. There's a golf course. Uh, there's some dorms and a hotel. And then there was some city and a facility, um, some fields and a facility of a weight room and locker rooms there. Uh, Greg Vanny saw it because he went to go uh, see it um, for Seattle Sounders. They had been approached to see if they'd want to go do preseason there. So he went to go see it for Siggy Schmidt. He sees the place. And because of him being such good friends with Robin, he calls Robin and he's like, Robin, there's this facility over here. Would you be in, you guys be interested in doing a residential academy? here?" So this is all taking place. So then back to when they, they, they're scouting my players, they liked a few of my players uh, while they're, they're doing, you know, dual things, U.S. national team and trying to start an academy there. Uh, they call me and they tell me, you know, we liked a few of your players, a couple for the national team, but we saw a few others that we'd like to invite to come and try out. We're trying to put together a team that we can show U.S. soccer, that we can put a competitive enough team to participate in the U.S. Development Academy League. And so that's what I started doing. I started going every once a month, taking a load of kids over there and they're trying out and they're having kids from that age was the 95s was the youngest and 93s. So it was a U16, a U16 team and a U19 team. Um, and during that process, probably took about two months. They asked me if I wanted to be part of their coaching staff. And I jumped to it. I knew I, I continued to to coach in my city but after the kids reach 17 it gets too expensive for them and you know you really can't do much for them unless you want to travel all over the country and but the reality is it was two or three players on that team that were good enough to the next level uh and so what i did was those kids that got picked up by greg and them i just said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go and take the best players from here uh and we did that and so during that process greg banny leaves I stay there with Mike Munoz. Greg Banny left to be assistant coach in the middle of that process with uh, Robin Frazier at Chivas USA. Mike Munoz stays. Uh, we we finish this, the, the year and we, we get third in nationals with one of the groups. They bring in another coaching director the next year, Martin Vasquez, who I think you've heard of, coached at Bayern Munich with Klinsmann, coach of the national team, was here for a long time. 
we, we worked together at the academy for four and a half years. Um, very good friends there that we had, Tony Bruce, Mike Krause, good group of coaches that we had there. And we developed some good players in that process. So during that whole time, Jason Kreiss, Greg, uh, Garth Lagerway, uh, all, all, you know, um, Jeff Kassar, they all paid attention to me. There was good collaboration. And when the Monarchs started in 2015, they wanted to bring a, a USL team, a second team. Uh, they asked, they approached me to see if I wanted to be the head coach of that inaugural team. So, you know, I, Martin Vasquez, who I have a lot of respect for, was a mentor of mine down at the academy. I go, I told Garth, I think it would be best for you to approach Martin. He's, he's this guy's coached at the highest level. And he's like, okay, if you, if you, if that's what you want. And they approached Martin and Martin said, no, I'm happy here, but Freddie's ready. Uh, he's ready to go. And, and I approached Martin. I was like, I don't want it to, you know, feel that, that someone was going behind your back. He's like, no, Freddie, this you're ready to go. You need the next level. So I did that. I came here for two years, um, ran the Monarchs for two years. And during that time, had very good collaboration with Jeff Kassar. On uh, the third year, he approached me and asked me if I wanted to be his assistant. And I think, you know, I felt like I was, the Monarchs was great. It was very good. It's a tough, it's a tough gig to be the second uh, team co head coach when you, in an MLS team, because you're, there's, it was new, but you have to, you have to deal with the academy. You have to deal with first team. You have to deal with your guys. A lot of, a lot of moving parts in that in that sending gig. Sending people back and forth. Sending people back and forth, pissing off the guys that work with you all all week, and then other guys from first team come. Like, there's a lot of things, and I get it 100%. But I felt uh, I was ready for to go and help Jeff, and we we had a very good relationship even when he was the assistant to Je um, Jason down at the. Um, we, he was that was he would contact me when we'd send players down from Arizona up here for reserve games, all that. So. It was a good collaboration, and, and yeah, I took it. I didn't even think twice. Um, and unfortunately, uh, we, we had a slow start, and he gets let go. Um, and they bring Mike Pecky in. Mike Pecky comes in, and, and he, has, he, you know, he has an opportunity to uh, you know, watch us and see how, we're, how we are and how he can work with us, but also the opportunity to bring in staff of his own if he needs to. Uh, and he ended up keeping me and a couple of the other staff members, and and that's how we worked. So we worked for two and a half years with Mike Pecky, who I respect a lot. Um, again, another head coach that, that, you know, I loved because they, uh, they allowed me to where some places, you know, a lot of head coaches want their hands and everything and they don't let you do a whole lot, you know, and with, with, with Mike and Jeff, uh, with Martin down at the Academy, there was a lot of, what do you think? What do you think? And, and, and so it allowed me to grow. So I was more than happy of being an assistant. I, I, I was never a guy who has to be the first, the head coach. As long as I'm in an environment where I can learn and I can have input and help. Um, and unfortunately, some, 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 you know, bad thing happened, some, something happened. And uh, they kept me as an inaugural uh, interim coach. And, uh, you know, I finished off last year's um, half of the season as an interim coach. And they offered me the job. Uh, at the end of the year, so here I am now uh, in a pan pandemic. <laughs> had two, two, uh, two games, and then we're in this situation. So not the easiest of start, but very excited to, to see what what I can do and the staff can do with the team. Yeah, hopefully things will pick back up soon. Um, Hope I didn't bore you with that story. No, no, I'm following along. Uh, seems like you're very good at uh, networking, and uh, it's about who you know and not. Always what you know. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say networking because I never kept in touch with these people. So it just turns out I was never looking for a gig. You know, it, it was always, you know, someone liking what I did. And then they, they would approach me like, 
the Mike Munoz I didn't and, and Greg Manny I didn't network they came and scouted players they contacted me and I was like yeah I'll take players over for me I'll move players on I'm I'm not the coach that's going to keep players back Edgar Castillo was a coach that I helped in his development for many years and when his parents came to us and said uh, at 17 years old we want to take him to Mexico uh, there was multiple opportunities before that and it was always like if it's not better than what he has don't and when they came to th with this one it was like it sounds legit they're going to put him on the U17 team, the first team. He's going to play. Take him. He ends up going and going to Mexico and playing for 10-plus years, winning championships, playing for Mexico with Hugo Sanchez and playing with Klinsman with the U.S. national team. Like, I think people always saw the work I did. Um, you know, the Jeff Kassar, he just, they'd come down for preseason, Jason Christ, and they'd, they'd ask us to help, and they liked what I did. They liked things that I did. And same with uh, Mike. They, li they thought they liked the ideas and the tactical knowledge. and. But I, I never once pushed to get the job. You know, I, uh, my dad always told me, and, um, you know, let the people speak. You never act like you're good or, 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 or try to flaunt that you're good or make a big deal. The people will recognize if you're good. And I actually read that and Ancelotti said the other day, or sorry, it was uh, Benitez, uh, you know, let, let your work speak for itself. So if, if, if you ask anyone that knows me, they would say, oh, Freddie rarely talks to people. And it's not the it's just, that's not my personality and go out there and mingle and give my card out. That's not me. And what I always hope is that my, my work will uh, speak for itself and, and opportunities will arise because what people have seen uh, when, when they, when they watch me at work. Your work does your networking for you. So you don't have to. Yeah. I hope, I hope that's the case. And I hope that continues to happen. <laughs> Pretty cool. What do you think is your biggest strength as a coach? Yeah, that's, that's tough. You know, again, I, I, I'm really under the principles that other people dictate that I, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, honesty and, and work ethic is, and the respect that I give people is, is my biggest strength. Um, that's, but see, again, that's me saying that, but I, I don't know. I would hope that when, if you asked people that were close to me and knew me, they would, they would, those same words would come out of their mouth. It's hard for me to sit here and tell you what my strengths are. I think. You know, we all, we all, we all fancy ourselves being good at something, but the reality is if you ask people around them, maybe that's not your strength. Uh, but the one thing I try to do is be honest and work hard. Cause I think that those are things you can control. Very true. Very true. There's a lot of uncontrollables out there. Yeah. Those are definitely two things you can't control. It's good to keep in mind. Was there any adversity you faced um, growing up or playing as a professional that you were able to turn into something positive? Uh, you know, adversity. Yeah. You know, we're the, we're the typical background of, you know, poor Hispanic kids, um, not just Hispanic, just poor, uh, from different parts of, of, of cultures and races. And, and, and we had coaches who, who cared about us and put us in, you know, took us to, to travel in, in a van, a 15 passenger van, like, you know, parents didn't have money. So the way my parents would, would repay the coach was, you know, well, I'm going to send a dozen of burritos for, for you guys so you don't have to spend money on the kids eating. And, like, that was always my adversity is there was never any and, – and the groups I played with never financial backing. But you had very good people that just wanted to, to help. Uh, and, and so if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have made it. You know, I would have been working – out in the world, but it wouldn't have been through soccer, but it was someone that it was good people that, that decided to do that extra.
Uh, and so when I became a coach, I was doing the same thing. I was picking up four or five kids in my car and uh, driving into practice. When I originally got to the academy, I lived in the dorm my whole time there for four and a half years with the kids. And Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you ask some of the guys uh, that made it pro, uh, Lalo Fernandez was at Tigres now, right now. He, he went to um, – he went to um, – he was one of our signings for RSL before he went to Tigres. Carlos Salcedo, um, Fanny Cavita, who we signed as well. But, like, I get five seniors. They would – five of the seniors had to go to a different school. And, you know, when you're a senior, you go maybe half day. And I load up five kids and drive them to school every day. Like, it was something that – it was a burden if, if you made it be a burden. But I always reminded myself that's what how where I'm at because someone would go pick me up. And then after a long day of them working all day, pick me up for practice and then take me home after practice, you know, and I can imagine they'd be getting home at nine, you know, but as a kid, you don't think about that. But as I got older, I realized when I'm doing, I'm like, man, these people used to pick me up for years, yeah. for years, just so they can have a good team and, and help these kids around that did other, otherwise wouldn't have played sports because their parents had to work all day. Uh, and, and so it was always something that, that I figured I had to do if I could ever do. And that's what I did with my teams do the car washes, go stand outside of Sam's club and sell tickets with them so I can, so they can go to a good tournament. Um, but I knew if, that, if I didn't take them, they were going to go on their own and the parents were going to take them, not because their parents didn't care, but their parents worked all day, yeah. every day of the week, you know? So for me, that was the biggest adversity. It's just, it's not, it wasn't just playing soccer. It's how, what we could do so we could compete and travel. And, and that was all that type of stuff, the hard work. Well, it sounds like, you're definitely paying it forward. Uh, I love that movie, and that 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 would hopefully be something that uh, that I that I think I, I don't think of it that way, but I think that's that's the best way of doing it. You know, it's if someone helped you, you got to go and reach and help some other people. It's good. It's a good philosophy to live by. Um, as a coach, I see you got the uh, nice relaxing background there. Let's talk about focus and concentration. Yeah. What do you do to help your players be more focused and on the field um, if they're having trouble with it? Yeah, yeah. You know, this is a tough one. Uh, I'd love, you know, when you said you had that, like the mental strength and all that, that's, you know, I'm by, by no means, am I even a professional or an expert at it or nothing, but I try to kind of go off experience. I think, you know, when I go back to some of my principles of honesty and respect, I think a big part of players is they already have a lot of pressures, pressures of, of performing, pressures of trying to keep contracts because they need to make money for their parents or kids or wives. Uh, they have all that pressure along with now the, the pressure from the coach of, we, you know, we got to win, we got to do this and that. So I think one of my biggest things when I go to the, the respect and honesty stuff is, I, I try to have conversations with players where they, I try to ease that from them. I'm not a screener and, and running crazy and on the sideline going nuts. You know, I, I hope that I get to, when the players see my demeanor, that it, it, it goes, if they feed off of it, that they know they're in a, they're not in ever panic mode, that they can ease and do what they love doing. I preach that a lot. You know, we're, we're every time we're at the office and, we're going to head outside to go start setting up. The, the, one of the last things I always say is, hey, let's go do what we were born to do. You know, and, 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 and I try to give those little things. When you go to the tactical and all that stuff, I do a lot of preparation with the staff, the staff and myself. It's never just me. The staff and myself do a lot of preparation tactically with our principles of play, all that. 
and try to make them as easy as possible for the players to understand. We then again try to deliver to them on a daily with video and, 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 and what we're going to do at training to try to get all this out to relieve stress from them. So when they go out to the training field, as soon as they step out of our facility onto the field, they know, hopefully they have an understanding of what we're going to do. There's not second guessing. There's not a stresses of, oh man, what are we doing? Oh, we're doing this. They know this is what we're doing today. We just talked about it. This is our focus. So that, that I think uh, helps a little bit. Um, we have a very relaxed environment. You know, I'm not, I'm not there hovering over the guys and, 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 as much as as much as I, I I want them to be 100% dedicated and all that, that's what I hope they do. But I hope they do it with seeing what I do every day and me not having to preach it, but they see me doing it. So then they hopefully that the actions speak louder than words for myself and and the staff, and and they know it that way. But I'm not in their grill. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Things get out of their hand. But of course, you know, things someone's being laid over and over and over and over, and it's affecting his performance and the team. Then we'll have a conversation. Uh, and the conversation always is the same type of tone that I'm having with you right now. How do we get better? <clears throat> Excuse me. How do we move on from this? Um, but it's trying to relieve all the outside world stuff and not adding any more stress for myself. They're stressed enough, you know. Um, and, and, and they, I think, have a platform where they can speak. Players can speak. Their ideas are valid. Um, if we need to talk about tactics. I present it to them, and they, they feel confident. I hope they feel confident that they can – question that and then we can go over it and, and say and I can explain why and if they have a better idea <clears throat> we'll apply it that's not a problem uh and I if it's a, a, our academy coach that saw a game and he brings up a point and says maybe you could have done this and it actually is better I'm going to do that and I'm going to give him the credit it's not about me I, I need the team to succeed and wherever the best idea comes from and it helps us go in the right direction I'm all about that it has nothing to do with me so I think that's that's the environment we try to uh, help put the team in. So the mental part of it is they already have so much to do with that they, they don't feel overwhelmed with all the other side of it. And I think that helps uh, with performance. And I hope it does. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, tell me a little bit more about the culture there. Yeah. You know, um, again, it's, it's a lot of open door. It's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of teaching. Uh, we do a lot of video uh, tomorrow, for example, we'll have a zoom call where, we're doing a, we go over our principles of play during this time. Uh, you know, it's, you're not doing a whole lot of team training. It's individual stuff. It's fitness. So we can't lose the tactical aspect that we, we, when I took over the team that we implemented in preseason and then because of what happened right now in the situation we're in so many, what you can do is run to stay fit and some individual training sessions. And it leaves a lot of tactics out. So it's all about the tactics. And, and that's, that's the part that we're, uh, we're really trying to implement in the teaching uh, and get, keeping the guys sharp here. So when we go, as soon as the league says we're allowed to start, get out there and small group training and, and team training that they feel like maybe they weren't doing it physically, but they feel it's in the head that they know, understand what we're already doing. You said run and um, individual trainings were two things that you left out FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 100% the players are playing FIFA. I know that for a fact that, you know, that's, but that's a good game. I love playing. I, I have the new FIFA here. Every once in a while, I'll pull it out and play, but um, yeah, you got to play some FIFA. You got to get the, the FIFA in. Yeah. It's the closest thing I get nowadays to uh, actually playing. You're playing. Yeah. It, it, it's great. Um, do the, do the guys do like little tournaments in between themselves or 
you know, there's there's a handful of guys that uh, that are very into it for sure. Um, even on on in some of our traveling, uh, you'll see the one of the the systems, either the PlayStation or the Xbox, traveling with the players. So I definitely know there's a handful of guys that are very very competitive at it. So um, and that that doesn't bother me. I think it's good. I think it's good. You know, you're it's a different way. We're in new new livings now, and and technology is definitely a big part of our are bringing up and what stimulates our brain and learning. So for me, there's a very good way, you know, I'm not a great at the FIFA. Like I'm the type that gets on it and I just want to quick play and quick play and don't change formations and don't that. Can we play right away, please? But I, yeah. And sometimes I get, I play someone that has to change formations and strategies and all that. And you start really looking at like, Hey man, some of this stuff makes sense, you know? So I think there's still a way of learning from it. Uh, if you really look in depth into it. That's cool. Um, anything you would do as a player to help you get in the zone? Ah, uh, you know, I was a very, I'm a very, uh, you know, relaxed demeanor, first of all. So it was for me like game day and even um, game day as a player back in, in, back in the day when I played and game day as a coach, you know, it's got to be really relaxed. Nothing ever rushed, you know, wake up at, at a time when I finally, wake up not because the alarm tells me to wake up um you know watch some soccer um go over the stuff when I was a player I had to take a nap I had to take a nap at midday probably after lunch it just relaxed me even more and I felt like if I did that you know I was I wasn't going to get that that siesta time during the game you know I was I'd be sharper um and and as a coach it's still very similar I have to take a lay down uh, you know a lie down sometime during a, a siesta Sometime during, you know, whether that's 30 minutes, an hour, I have to get that in. And then um, I have to go over the notes that we're going to go and, and talk to the players about in our last meeting at the stadium. Uh, it's, it's just something that i got to have here. So if I lose track of something, I can remember, uh, you know, it's in my head. Uh, I don't necessarily have to look at the PowerPoint, but that's, some, that's a ritual that I have to go over multiple times a day of before I present to the guys that lets me relax a little bit and keeps me thinking about the game. Another one of those things that you do have control over. Yeah, yeah. As long as you did the work before and did the presentation. Then. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, what about uh, superstitions? Did you have any superstitions as a player? Oh, yeah, we, we always, you know, a player and as a coach, as soon as we win a game, it's like, what did we eat last time? What did we do this? It's we're The staff right now is, is very – we did this. Uh, don't change that. What did we have for, for the meals for the guys? Don't change that. Um, me, if I said I went and got coffee at this time, I'll go get it at, the, at that time again. So, and as a player, it's very similar. What, you know, I wore these shoes. I got to stick with those shoes till we lose or um, very, very similar as now. You know, I, I, if I took a walk the day of the game as a player at 11, I was doing it again the next game. You know, it's, I, I think you just see that with every player. Maybe I wasn't extreme, but it was, I did, I did have a routine if, if it was winning ways. It was working. If it was working, yep. Cool. Um, they say superstitions and routines like that, um, they just put you in the mindset of winning the game. They don't necessarily work, work, but they work for your, for your, for your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's, a, again, like you said, I think, 
you know, I go back to them how, how, how players are just stressed and, you know, you have to perform mm -hmm. and they work themselves up and outside influences get them worked up too, that you need something that just keeps you in line and a routine of sort that doesn't, you know, can allow you to block everything else off and it keeps you your sight on the goal. You know, it's, again, anything that you can do to relax the mind for me is critical. What do you do to keep trainings more fun? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. You know, there's, there's, you, you always got to remember and think back again that the players are players and we are playing a game. And we fell in love with it, um, with the ball and chasing the ball and playing. I don't think we fell in love with it from the first day that you showed up to practice and you did an exercise, a, a tactical exercise. I think you, you fell in love because you played with it in a playground. You just chased the ball and competed against someone. So I got to, I got to remember that, you know, cause sometimes as a coach, you, you know, you, you put pressures on yourself and, 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 you know, you get judged on a week, weekly basis by, you know, 15, 20,000 fans. And, and so as coaches, you're like, shoot, I got to prepare my team as much as possible. And you get into this, video and tactics and individual meetings and 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 in designing sessions that 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 are based off your principles and then you forget that can we just give them a, a 77 tournament or a 5v5 tournament let them play let them shoot at goal let them defend let them celebrate a goal we forget that i i for sure do at times uh, and, and 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 the guys will speak out you know they'll you'll get a message here and there from either your strength and conditioning coach or a player will come up to you or they they share it with an assistant i you know, why, why didn't we play this this week? Why didn't we do a 5v5 tournament? So, um, you know, culturally, I think us Americans, we're, we're, we're brought up with football and basketball and baseball and everything's about running hard and hitting hard. And, and we've kind of added that to the culture in soccer. You know, somewhere else, if you went to Germany, the players are going to do what you ask them to do. Like, you run hard, you run. That's just how it is. You go to Spain or or Italy and it's tactics, tactics and tactics and tactics and tactics. And they're not so much, you know, about playing 5v5, but in American culture, we've developed this from a young age is you got to play small sided games to keep the player engaged. And you got to play small sided games. You got to play small sided games. So uh, us as coaches and new coaches, a lot of the younger coaches are going through these courses and they're trying to add more tactics and things like that. But you can't forget that it, also, it is also a game. And culturally our player, the American player wants to play. They want to run. They want to sweat. Uh, so you got to give them that. Uh, and so I think that's a part that, that when you ask me what, how do you keep them motivated, you got to remember that it's not all about too much overwhelming them with, with tactics. Um, but you got to try to find the right balance. Yeah. That the tactics that make sense, which we always as coaches think they do, but maybe they don't. Uh, but you know, you, you got to let them. You got to let them play. You got to let them play and, and remember what they what they fell in love with. Do you have any specific exercises you've come up with that are like these are have no tactical use whatsoever? This is just to have fun. Like, yeah, no, there's 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 you know there's a lot. Um, I think I've gotten away from so much just a possession and throwing the ball out. But every once in a while we'll do we'll do one. It's just don't worry so much about your position. Just run and pass the ball, and we'll count how many you pass. I know I grew up on that, you know, and you you loved it. Um, um, but you know that cross the pond game. It's I don't know if you've ever played it. It's three teams and one team's in the middle. It's three grids. One team's in the middle grid, and they send three players out to one grid, and you play a five v three. And if you connect X amount of passes, you knock it over to the other five over there. If the three win it and knock it out of the grid, 
the five that are trying to keep possession go to the middle grid and they so they transition. That seems to be an international favorite from mm-hmm. any team, any age that's ever been. You obviously it gets you add some progressions and you add some different elements as the quality of player you have, but but that seems to always be a winner with everyone. Uh, a good little five v five, six v six, small sided game where there's a lot of shots, close proximity uh, to you know to allow for a lot of combination play, quick play seems to always be something that that the players love. Uh, and anytime you can do some finishing exercises, you know that the game is score more goals than your opponent. So um, the players tend to love love uh, you know finishing exercises that, that get them repetition on on goal. You seem to always be wanting to improve your game. Where does where does that come from, and how do you how are you able to to keep focusing on getting better? I think it goes back to what I said, how it was in Las Cruces, New Mexico, in our in our coaching. We we couldn't every year go the easy way out of I'm gonna go and have tryouts and open it up for the town. And you know, like these big city clubs, they you see signs. I'm here in Utah, and I see signs right now. This club has their sign up call this number and tryouts this date and there's all over uh, we couldn't do that so we had to improve the player and I was the same way as a player that when I was coached we couldn't bring in a bunch of players so I had to improve as a player and my, my teammate had to improve as a player we wanted to win state the next year against Albuquerque in New Mexico that had 15 clubs there clubs that paid you know those clubs that you hear all the stories they pay 3,000, they travel here, they travel there. We weren't that. We didn't pay. We didn't pay our coach. We didn't have warm-ups. We didn't have – so every year, one year we get fourth, we're ecstatic that we're fourth in the in the state. You know what? Next year we want to get third. What do we got to do? We got to go run this mountain that we call back home. It's called the A Mountain. It's a big mountain there. We run it. And, you know, we got to run it more this year, guys. And we got to – like, it was it was those stories, you know. It was the, the, uh, the bad news bear stories, like the hardball stories. It was that. It was – we just had someone that was caring for us, and it motivated us to get better. We couldn't go and get the, the, the great player from the other city to come with us. We had to become great players or good players and had cohesiveness in a team to go and beat these big clubs. And we eventually always did, to tell the truth. You know, it might have taken a couple of years, uh, but we did because we got better as individuals, and I think that's, that's how it's been with me as a coach. Well, if I want to get better, I got to get better. I can't. I can't get stagnant. I got to. My staff has got to make me better. I got to make my staff better. I got to make my individual players better. Because we're not going to go buy, buy Carlos Vela. We're not. Real Salt Lake is not going to buy Carlos Vela. We have to make our own Carlos Vela uh, from our academy. And the players that we have at the first team that we bring in got to right away help us. And I got to try to help them and and how they can help the team get better. That's that's just been. I, I love that philosophy because that's how I grew up with that philosophy. What do you do to help the team mesh better in terms of teamwork and that type of vibe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's always a trick one. I think you mentioned you had um, Bruce Arena in one of your talks. Uh, and, yep. you know, you, you have all these coaches. And what I've always admired about Bruce Arena, and I admire actually Almeida down in San Jose. Bruce Arena, any team he's had, he's, they're a team. They compete. They're good. You know, he makes every team better. And, and from my understanding, I've never – I've met with him once. He probably wouldn't remember him. But I, I back in 2005, MLS players were going to have a strike. National team players were going to have a strike. So they contacted lower division teams. And I went into a camp um, in Carson, California. And he was a coach. Him and Kurt Anolfo and them, that was the staff. But you can just – the way he speaks, the way he carries himself, uh, quickly made you a believer in him. Um, 
So, you know, that stuff I admire. I admire in that. And, 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 and I've always wanted to see how they, what is it that they do to convince the player? I hate using the word convince, Mike. You would think, well, they signed a contract. They're getting paid. They're gonna, you're the head coach. They're going to listen. At least that's how my, my mentality was. That's the coach. I listen. And even when I played within USL, I played for 10 years. I had eight coaches and I played you now seven coaches. So that means we're, we're, we weren't very good because coaches were in and out. But I, I played for every single coach as a starter because I did what the coach asked me. If he wanted me to hit a long ball, I played long ball. This coach came in, he wanted me to play with the ball on the ground. I did that. I did whatever the coach asked so I could play. Uh, and now all I hear is you got to convince, you got to convince a player, you got to convince a player. And I get a little bit of it, but it's, it's like we forget that you know, we're here to, to all get done. And, and it's almost like the head coach has lost that that uh that power of this is what we do and we're gonna do and this is what we're gonna you know win or die from this we're gonna follow this plan so i've always admired what what bruce arena i'd like to see what he does uh and then the, the same with i made that san jose how he got a team he came in and got a team that was um at the in, in the standings was in at the best the year before and he came in and changed their mentality totally 100 percent and how they run and press and the different style of soccer that that mls had not seen I admire that from coaches and, and I, you know, I, I can't tell you if I have that. Uh, I, I want that. I want to have a cohesive team. That's what I work for every day. But, but for me, uh, you know, it's, it's hard when you ask me, what do you do to, to bring that? It's nothing. It's being respectful and honest and trying to teach them what I know. And sometimes I'm not the best raw, raw guy. And I, you know, I can't stand in there and crack a joke and make a hundred people laugh. That's, that's, I know for sure that's not a strength of mine. Uh, but I, I always hope that by work and, and that they believe that I have knowledge in the game that that's going to help them, then that's what's, what's going to push them through. And we'll, that's, we're, that's yet to be seen because uh, I just got started in this thing. But, but there's for sure some people like Bruce Arena, uh, Bob Bradley, Almeida, that whatever they do, they can basically like switching a switch to turn on a light. And they, they have it. They have that. I don't know if I have that. That's what I want to develop. There you go. That's your next goal. That's my next goal. Yeah. Brings us into goal setting. How do you do goal setting? Yeah, you know, there's realistic stuff. Uh, I'm not. I'm not huge on. Okay, guys, we're gonna 100 shutouts, and you know, we're gonna get a shutout 30 times this year, and we're gonna score 60 goals that way. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I, I I like it to be collaborative. I like it to be collaborative. I do want. I know we are the underdogs most of the time. We are what people say are the the small market team. We aren't the, the big spenders. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I use a lot of the guys. We got to be better at this. We got to be better at that. We got to know our system better. We got to be hungry. Uh, and, and, and you, you almost use a David Goliath kind of mentality with the guys, you know? Um, and then, and then you, you speak to your, your, your guys and you ask them, what are some goals that you guys like to achieve? Uh, and you let them have a lot of influence in that. Um, because it, I think, they become a little bit more accountable when, when, when it comes from them. Can't be just me setting stuff. You know, there's some stuff that for me are, are non-negotiable and stuff and things, but, but a lot of it, there's a lot of give and take. And you got to allow play, um, them to have, you know, say so. In, um, and that's important. But, um, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for us. We want to compete for the MLS Cup like every, all the other, 20, other 25 teams in the league. But, but how do we do it? Um, you know, we got to set some goals in there. And for me, it's first and foremost, make the playoffs. You know, you got to make the playoffs. Once you make the playoffs, 
okay, now we can start talking about the cup because then things change in that moment. So, you got to put uh, one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Or don't put the carriage before the horse, however that saying goes. Yeah. It's um, a step at a time because, uh, you know, it's, you know, sometimes you send a player like, like Bella and you know, okay, right away, this player right gets us in the playoffs. You know, uh, and then, and I'm not just saying that because they have like they have a great coach and they have a great team and they play some very good. But I'm saying sometimes that player, a player like that, you know, is going to bring you 20 goals. And and having a, a 20 goal goal scorer in a, in MLS almost guarantees you making the playoffs. You you get what I'm saying? Yeah. The um, math so, is there. Yeah, but for us, we don't have that, so we got to set different goals and, and do different things to try to achieve uh, success or have any sort of success. What about confidence? How did you become more confident as a player? What helped you build your confidence? Yeah, 100% uh, teammates that allowed me to speak my mind that didn't put me down, didn't scare me. Uh, you know, there's, it wasn't that they weren't hard on me, but it was never demoralizing. Uh, you know, I had, I had, I had played some with some good players that were very intense and, and forced me to train and weren't afraid to tell me that was a poor training session. You know, you're 19 years old. You should be doing more. That type of stuff quickly triggered things in my head. But it wasn't like F word, Freddie, you're a F in this and F in that, where I hide in a shell, right? It was holding me accountable. It was, it was tough. And, hey, you got to be better. But it wasn't degrading me. Uh, so, you know, that, that, it was more like challenging, challenging, they challenge you, they challenge you. Uh, and I think that's, that's what attributed to it. Because many, many times I think, you know, you see situations and, you know, in, in our world, we almost, people that, that play for a long time, a lot of times a young one comes in and they, they feel right away they got to be hard and they got to be super hard and they don't find that balance. I do know you got to hold a young player accountable. I do know that if you have experience, a veteran has more experience, but you, you got to, if that young player is going to grow, hold them accountable, be tough on them, don't demoralize them. You got to allow them to grow. Uh, and that's that's kind of what happened with me as a 19 year old playing uh, my first professional game. It was it was uh, no one bashed me. No one never. It was I, I felt like I was in an environment where I could be be your your own character. You didn't have to be someone else. You could play. make mistakes. You could make mistakes. And it, it wasn't that people say you can make mistakes, right? But you didn't get crushed if you made a mistake. Right? It, it, no one ever said you can make mistakes here. Uh, but when you did one, they're just like, hey, it's got to be better. You know, now you know that's, that's, that's the culture. You're okay. You know, and, and for me, maybe for someone else, it wouldn't have worked that way. Maybe they need you more. I don't know. But for me, that's how it worked. And that's how I try to be with our players. Right? And, and there would be many people that don't agree with me. They'd say you have to be harder with them. Because maybe they were brought up that way and they succeeded that way. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but that's how I, I kind of I see it. Yeah. Um, you spoke about veterans. Let's talk about leadership. Um, how do you help leaders develop within your own club, within your own squad? Yeah, there's a, we have obviously inherited leaders that have been leaders of the club and, and very good leaders. So you love that. You know, they're, they're, they've gone through experience. They've won championships. You, you gain a good relationship with them and, you let them continue to grow, but I also feel the younger players uh, need to continue to develop. And there's things that, for example, 
we do these Zoom meetings and we do a tactical principle analysis video every Thursday uh, that we deliver to the guys and we go over, it's 30, 40 minutes of what that principle means in our style of play. Uh, but I've taken it now to where some of the younger guys in the team, <clears throat> we've done this twice now. Um, we didn't have time this past week. We'll probably do next week or the week after where I ask one of the players to deliver that same presentation to our academy group. Um, and so for me, that's already uh, showing development and growth and leadership uh, to be able to deliver a tactical analysis and be aware and explain it now as a teacher at 19, at 20, 22 years old is a big deal. Yeah. It's a very big deal. For me, I didn't get comfortable with, and I'm still not comfortable with it, but know where I could speak like this or, 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 or speak to stuff till I was like 27 where I was really comfortable where I can speak in front of 50 people or 100 people you know it's that's always nerve-wracking for whatever you know but I, I didn't have to do any of it growing up and yeah. so I this helps number one it helps the player with that leadership understanding what I've been teaching them now I know they weren't just hearing because now they're explaining the same thing I was now they're explaining it to other people uh, so it's it's a lot of learning for them, but I thought I thought it would be a good exercise, and and the two players that did that was they did it very well, and got I got good feedback from from the academy coaches um, um, and their players. So that's something that I'd like to continue to do, and I think that helps. Awesome, yeah, definitely, definitely. They say the biggest fear ever is public speaking. The number one biggest fear. It is for me. <laughs> so. All right, my last question for you. If you could go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice to help you in your soccer career, what would it be? I would have been more of a vocal leader. I was always about being quiet and, and just actions, actions, actions. And, you know, and people were always like, you're the type that when you speak, people listen and and so you know maybe that was a good thing but maybe not a good thing because it almost put me in a thing like well don't talk so too often because then you know you also you speak too often and people start ignoring you know so but I was I was made captain by Amos McGee down in Minnesota uh, for two years and <clears throat> and I wasn't vocal enough you know I didn't do enough to keep a team together uh, and 100% if I went back to my playing days and my younger age which I would have been uh, more vocal and especially when I just told you I, I, I felt like I had a lot of people who helped in my development by not, not demoralizing me and pushing me so that should have already set the standard well you know if they're doing that that means you can express yourself vocally too and I, I wasn't I was more of a I'm gonna go work hard I'm gonna run I'm gonna do everything with action uh, and just never really I didn't really invest in the emotional part with it and expressing that with the players to what good, great teams do, you know, to hold them together in a, in a season and all that. So sure. I, I hope that uh, now as a coach that I do more of that. And I, yeah. and I, and do more. I hope you do too. Well, this is a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, I look forward to watching you guys this season and see how it all plays out. Awesome. Appreciate the call and, and the invite. Um, hopefully uh, it, was, it was some some info that might help someone out there. Uh, I think there was a lot, a lot of good stuff. And, and thank you. Thanks for the work you do and continue to get soccer out there and helping in any way. It's important for us. Um, but 
appreciate it. Hopefully everything's good with you and, and back home. Thank you. Thank you.